Hello. Hello. Hi, Gabby. Hi. So good to hear from you. Likewise. I love how everything has come together so quickly. And it just really feels God sent. I'm so thankful for you and your time. And I'm so happy we reconnected. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's just a pleasure to um, know that someone wants to hear from me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yo, it's like, I'm so proud of you and everything that you've accomplished. You really are someone that I look up to. So I had to reach out. I had to try, you know? Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This is my podcast with love. And today we have a very, very special episode. She is a recent graduate from Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health, where she received her master's in public health with a specialization in child, youth, and family health. She currently works as a health researcher investigating HIV quality of life, improvement strategies using mobile technologies. Gabby is passionate about mental health care and reaching vulnerable populations, which I completely adore. Her other main passion is distance running, and she's a crew of several running crews across North, across New York City. There we go. Gabby is also an active member of her church community within Trinity, New York, based out of Harlem, New York. And... I love that everything that you give your energy to just screams <laughs> wellness and screams balance. And I think that's something that really gravitates me towards you. I love how you have multiple interests that you seem to really blossom in. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I do agree. Health and wellness is so integral, not just for me, but for everybody. Uh, you yes. can't escape it if you want to live. Period. <laughs> Living well is uh, just an aspect of life that you can have, right? So. Amen. Mm-hmm. So, Gabby, when it comes to spirituality, let's start there. Hmm. I, I want to get into some of your background just so we understand your perspective and maybe can give us a clear vision into why you've chosen this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to spirituality, what do you think grounds you when you? Uh, if you could summarize what notions or what quotes maybe stand out to you that help keep you mm, grounded within your faith? Yeah. Well, uh, just a bit of background with that. So um, I, you know, I'm a Hispanic woman, so I grew up uh, Roman Catholic (laughs) as you know, most of us folks do from the community. But for me, um, spirituality felt so much more culturally based, you know, Mm-hmm. It always felt like something I went through the motions of initially. Uh, uh, I went through um, catechism, communion services, uh, yes, ultimately confirmed in the church. And um, it always felt like something that was real for me. But mm-hmm. it was hard to say if I had an individual relationship with my own faith. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of, you know, it did seem more of a communal aspect of my cultures. Yes. And when I would have times where I'd, you know, pray and um, lean into spiritual spiritual word. I, I just had a hard time really connecting and feeling if there was something there. So, um, and, and, you know, granted, trying to have those questions is very difficult within um, a religious setting. Mm-hmm. You might, you know, be wanting to ask the big questions like, ah, do I really, can I really hear from God? Is there really a God? What's, mm-hmm. what's God like? And, um, Unfortunately for me, it took a lot of backing away from the church for some time in college. 
um, yeah. at least in my first half, to really start to understand the importance of actually asking those questions to find yourself a space um, to cultivate your faith, wherever that may be. Mm -hmm. um, with that said, um, due to just some life experiences during uh, college that, you know, difficulties I can get into a little bit later on. <laughs> yeah. um, I came to be very involved in um, the Christian faith, particularly like a non-denominational church that I joined during yeah. um, my final years of college. And there I was really given the opportunity to learn how to pray, um, learn how to be prayed for, wow. to really look at my life and my walk with, you know, Christ, which I believe in, mm -hmm. um, to be something so much more than just a cultural aspect of my life. So um, currently, to this day, uh, I still classify myself as a Christian. I also can classify myself as a Catholic um, in some similar ways. Um, but I'm very involved with my church here in New York City. That is Trinity, New York. Um, I've come to know a lot of incredible people in the faith community across New York and back mm -hmm. home in California, where um, I think the, the best way to describe it at first is I just felt that people were speaking life into me. You know? Aww. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Right. And, it, and I'm sure whatever background everybody else has, whether it be with a strict religion or if you're kind of in a space that's a little bit different spiritually or you don't have a, a, a name for it. Mm -hmm. We can all, I think, benefit from having communities around us that do speak life into us, whether that's through prayer or just affirmations or the words that they're saying that give us a chance to say, you know, you're a God-given gift to me. Like, Amen. and being able to say that to each other and then also speak about each other's futures in a way. Um, some of the times early on in my faith and even to this day when you're just praying with friends and they, they just touch upon that thing on your heart. Mm -hmm. um, that you're going through in the season and then they can just really like, you know, break chains over that. Um, How do you like to pray? Help. If I may ask, what, yeah. what would you, if, if you thought of this space right now as a communal setting and we were all, let's say at church with you, what would you say to us? Yeah. Well, um, I would definitely first try to connect with the Holy spirit Um I like to think of myself, you know, I am important to God, but I'm also um, a vessel Amen. for God. So um, I'd really want to be able to connect with what God wants to hear for you first. Um, if I were to pray for us, I guess I would uh, say, Holy Spirit, come. I'm just so happy to be able to speak with Cameron at this time and whoever happens to be listening. If this is a chance for you to speak through me, what they need to hear in the moment, may that be exactly what they need to hear right now and what you're intending for them to hear over their life. Um, I just pray opportunity over their life. I really believe that there is a space for you to come in and show them wholeness, um, show them happiness, a bright future, show them protection and grace from whatever, you know, sins they may feel that they're going through. I just know you can break that in Jesus name over their life and that there's freedom in having a relationship with you, God. So in your name, amen. I amen. Yeah. 
Thank you. I know yes. putting you on the spot like that. No, that's fine. <laughs> I love that's it. Right. <laughs> I pray with my roommate like all the time. If we're like talking about something, we're like, let's just pray. And then it just got happens. That is so cute. And I love the nonchalance yeah. behind it. Like it doesn't have to be a taboo. I think it's a beautiful yeah. area to be explored and shared. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I think humans are wired for connection and to deepen one's faith does require outside you know, energies to participate. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, yeah. Gabby. I really appreciate you sharing that with us and giving okay. us that background. Yeah, of course. How long have you been involved in this new church? So I actually joined them remotely um, at the beginning of last year. So it's been a little over a year now with Trinity. Nice. Um, it's pretty special how we met them. So um, I... I had a little bit of a difficult start when I came to New York City, to say the least, um, moving from small town California. And I mean, I went to college in San Luis Obispo, which is a slightly mm-hmm. bigger town, but no major. Not city. too dramatic. Though. Yeah, right. Very outdoorsy. It's, you know, considered mm-hmm. small town America still. So going straight from Hollister to slow wasn't a big transition, but to New York, uh, it shocked me a lot. And um was it a solo I, move? Sorry? Was it a solo move? Just you? Um, yes. So when I actually, so I, I came here for graduate school. Mm-hmm. I applied to schools on the East Coast having never been here. <laughs> just vaguely <laughs> nice. yeah. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to experience something new. I think I'm more adventurous than um, my family may be comfortable with. So I was just kind of like, I'm going to go for it. And then I got here and I was like, oh, maybe I was a little in over my head for this one. Um, so with that said, uh, I it was hard finding a faith community here, especially mm-hmm. in a, a city like New York. There, there are so many people, but most people will tell you it can be very lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, I found a group initially through my university and um, I'm not here to bash, but yeah. I don't think they were the, the healthiest community. I, I think they were um, quick to use um, the Bible for their own agenda. I feel you. Um, yeah. So, uh, which is hard to weed out in the Christian community, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, um I had to make a hard decision to leave that community right before the pandemic hit. Um, this was like in February of 2020, decided, you know, step away from this place, that, this group that I had been with for about six months now. And mm-hmm. I had been my core community in New York and step out again on my own um, mm-hmm. just to find something that was healthier. And Yeah, because internally it just didn't feel good for you, I can imagine. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there, there were definitely some things said about, um, you know, just even as myself, as a woman, I wasn't encouraged to have a life. Let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, so not only was it scary stepping out on my own from that community, but I found that the time I spent with them was actually pretty damaging to my faith Mm -hmm. and my, my own self image. So um, I had to almost start from, further back than I had came to the city with, um, which, which can be tough to work through. And so I, I spent a good year and this is all, you know, as COVID hit, things started to shut down. I went home to California for a few months. So 
I was really trying to explore what my next steps were in faith. And, and I knew I wanted to find a healthier community that would be a safe haven for me when I get back to the city. So um, it's um, interesting piece. My, my friend Candace comes in here. Candace was uh, one of my small group leaders from church at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Okay. And um, she actually was working within with an organization that was helping churches across the U.S. with their their marketing skills. Okay. So she connected with a church here, which was at the time Trinity Harlem, and she mentioned to me after I said, "Oh, I went on a run across the George Washington Bridge that connects <laughs> Upper New York, uh, Manhattan area to Jersey." She said, oh, I just had to find stock images of that bridge uh, to advertise for this church in Harlem. Uh, and then she's like, actually, I was talking to some of the people there in a Zoom call, and they seemed really nice. Like, I want you to check them out. Mm. And I said, well, that's good. And someone's already at least vetted them for a first round call that they're not <laughs> uh, evil. So <laughs> that's a good sign. And someone I trust nonetheless with my faith. So um, I went on their website uh, and on the spot, I signed up for a small group for the um, collegiate women's group. And through them, I met some of my closest friends now in the city that lead uh, that small group. And they um, introduced me to the rest of Trinity, uh, which now is, goes by Trinity, New York, kind of broadening our scope for the whole city and, um, ended up meeting someone who's my now roommate that I didn't know until Easter of last year. And just what? the way that things have moved is beyond anything I could have done on my own, especially in a city like this. So I, I am just so thankful. That's such a beautiful story. God, things have planned out. Isn't that amazing? Right? God is so with you. God really yes. rocks with you. Yeah. That's a beautiful, wow. I love that. And I love how effortless it was. I loved when things are easy. I've been trying to tell myself lately, like if it's mm -hmm. not easy or simple, like why make it extra hard? I have a tendency yeah. to make life difficult and I'm not, I'm not with it anymore. No. The easier, the better. Definitely. Right. We're not put on this um, earth to I think, strive and toil. Amen. You know? Big facts. Gabby, when's your birthday? I'm interested. October 30th. I am a Scorpio. Oh, I am beautiful. <laughs> oh, man. I love my Scorpios. I, I like how the transformation is so heavy. And it's very prevalent with that story that you just told us. Mm -hmm. So does your... Let, let me ask you now this. We... Mm -hmm. I want to give you the space to talk about your work so far, especially with HIV and with families. Mm -hmm. But my question is, what sparked your interest to work on HIV or help with HIV? Was there any specific incident that maybe prompted you towards that area of life? Yeah, um, another very interesting story of how that all plays out. Uh, so in my time in college, mm -hmm. I had a close family member um, find out that they had a chronic illness mm -hmm. that I, um, I knew nothing about. And if you've you know, been in this situation or if you've had a friend or just any close loved one that falls ill, 
you might start trying to do your own research and digging in and WebMD. Yes, suddenly we're all doctors, and I'm like, it's this, and uh, but it, it's true. I was in that same boat, and I remember being at like a, a. I remember the moment clearly. I was at a coffee shop with um, an old friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, and I was catching him up on life so far and saying like, ah, like I know nothing about this illness, but it's impacting someone so close to me. Like, what do I, what do I do? And he was like. Well, you know, we paid all this money to be at Cal Poly, this college. Why don't we ask people that work here? And I was like, you're a genius. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> He's so right. So then on the spot, I if there were any faculty at my uh, at the university that were, were studying the illness. And it turns out um, someone was. And it was a professor that I had taken a class with about service learning. Oh, wow. So I was like, wow, um, talk, tell them to reach out to Dr. Winstead and see what she's doing. And from there, I connected with her and um, Dr. Winstead's an incredible harm reduction based uh, public health professional. Mm-hmm. He led me to start volunteering with a group based out of the Cal- um, San Luis Obispo County Public Health um, Department. It was a grassroots grassroots organization called Slow Bangers. And uh, Slow Bangers ran, um, and still (laughs) runs to this day, a syringe exchange program um, weekly through the public health department. Oh, wow. And also it helps comprise much of the um, opioid overdose prevention task force in that county. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, Right. So through them, um, they also provide um, HIV and hepatitis C testing as well as um, naloxone and Narcan trainings um, for people um, that come into the syringe exchange program. Mm -hmm. Um, So I ended up joining that crew and learning so much more about public health than I ever expected. Uh, I was in school for nutrition, so I always thought I would just be a dietitian, but suddenly my my entire gaze was focused on um, working with people that are quote unquote in hard to reach populations living with chronic illnesses. Just um, it, it's amazing how the people that need the most help from our healthcare system are the least touched by it. You know? Talk about it. Oh Let me go goodness. off. Right. Like <laughs> not to mention, I mean, just like, um, you know, and that it, from a diversity standpoint, I mean, how many black and brown folks have little access to healthcare Mm-hmm. Um, but even from a socioeconomic standpoint and, and from what I come to find out, um, people who are homeless or houseless people in, um, that are incarcerated, it, it's so difficult to reach these populations, but they comprise so many of our major, um, sufferers from chronic illness in the U S and beyond. So, um, well, um, from that though. I, I joined the team. I worked with them for the remainder of my time in college, going just about every Wednesday night, going to help with the syringe exchange, um, learning a lot more about opioids and HIV and hepatitis C and overdose prevention than I ever thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so thankful for that. You know? What are some of the biggest perspective switches that happened during your time with that organization? Was there any like mm-hmm. definite maybe myths that you were hanging on to and then through the information that was given to you changed because you 
had a broadened perspective. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the biggest piece um, that has um, carried with me throughout my public health journey is the concept of harm reduction. Um, so looking at, um, you know, the motto behind the harm reduction standpoint in public health is meeting people where they are uh-huh. and also seeing people not as subjects or patients, but as human beings, like brothers and sisters. Um, and that can be very hard in the health professions, even in the public health sector, where we like to think most of us are very open-minded and caring. It, it can be very um, clinical. We can lose sight very quickly that, um, the, you know, the reason that we're in healthcare is because we want people to be healthy and live healthy lives, um, not just to fix them. So yes. with that said, uh, a lot of the people that I did meet that would come into the syringe exchange program were, um, were people living with heavy addiction, people that were homeless, um, people that, you know, if I was out and about the night before at dinner downtown, I, you know, I would be judgmental. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's hard to admit, but you, you know, I think we tend to think that these people have failed themselves, their families, that they are, you know, a blot on society. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times is um, that shame is what people in those situations often feel about themselves too. And in that's just, it still hurts me because I still work with a lot of people from those same um, populations and backgrounds. And um, when you do speak with people one-on-one, whether it be training them on overdose prevention or you're working with them on an HIV test that day, mm-hmm or you're in HIV testing research, like I'm doing now, um, you're, you're talking, you see a person, you know? You Definitely. see another human being, someone that has a heart like you, has dreams like you, that hurts like you. That heals um, like you and yeah. pains like you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And they even, you know, look like you too. Uh, I think the biggest, I, I think back to this story too, that there was one night I was at the syringe exchange um, and a woman had come in with her um, boyfriend at the time and, you know, she, she looked pretty rough. I don't have a better description. Um, and I expected she was about middle-aged. So I worked with her one-on-one and I did her Narcan training. Um, and if, if people weren't familiar, Narcan is overdose reverse, over opioid overdose reversal drug that you can administer to someone that can counteract the effects of a drug overdose with opioids and save people's lives. Um, Okay. Really awesome. Highly recommend um, Narcan or Naloxone. Something you can look for. Before we uh, go on with the story, can you explain what happens in an opioid overdose? Right. Um, And uh, forgive me, this might be a little bit surface level, but um, I... Surface level is good for us. Right. (laughs) Um, So if someone is overdosing on opioids, um, think about the receptors in their brain being overloaded with the opioid um, just right into the system. So they're being flooded with this drug that they can't process, their body can't function normally. So what the idea is, is that if you can find something else to fill those receptors, Mm -hmm. then they can start coming back to homeostasis, like their body can be regulated and start functioning as it was properly. Gotcha. Um, so what Narcan the, or Naloxone does, it's the same two names for the same type of um, medication. Mm-hmm. Um, it's administered either nasally, 
like um, Flonase or okay, um, like the spray. Yeah, like the spray, um, or even um, through a like a needle injection. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it immediately impact like hits the bloodstream and will um, cover up the receptors that okay. are flooded with the opioid. Yes. Um, and then your body's able to start coming back to normal. But during an overdose, um, of opi opioid overdose, um, people usually start to become very rigid. Um, that Especially for uh, fentanyl overdoses. That's, I know, a big buzzword that's floating around. Um, probably the news these days. Fentanyl is just a very, very, very um, heavy and powerful opioid. Um, so it, yeah, you'll become rigid. Um, you might not be able to breathe because you're, um, you're, sorry, thoracic cavity is starting to stiffen up. Your heart will eventually stop. Um, so it's a, a horrible, horrible um, experience. Got you. Yeah, and I've mm -hmm. I, I don't have too much. The reason I asked is because I am a little uh, uneducated in that area. Mm -hmm. But I have had a lot of close friends, people my age, overdose on fentanyl. And I know that the area that I live in, I have a scary experience actually downtown San Jose where I was mm. around substances that I was told was one thing and it turned out to be another thing. And mm. I didn't sleep for over 48 hours. It was the scariest yeah. two days of my life. <sighs> and so to, to notice, um, I suggest like to notice triggers in other people, you know, to to be able to understand other people's behavior and take their behavior as a cue as to whether or not, you know, said substance is said substance, or even if said substance is good for me. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I, I appreciate about that feedback that you just provided us because now I can, you know, I feel especially now as an adult being exposed to a lot of different types of areas of life, the more that I know about signs, about certain things, the the better prepared I can be in any said situation. Yes, yeah, and I, I'm sorry that you had to go through that experience and you know seeing friends in those situations. Yeah. It's it's traumatizing, you know. That's hard. Um, and and on that too, um, I mean, yeah, fentanyl is uh, tearing through the U.S., particularly in um, you know parts of Central California, um, also across. Um, large portions of like the Appalachias and mm -hmm. the East coast as well. Um, but there are a few things as well. We, there are fentanyl test strips. So if you are using recreational drugs or, um, you know, even if, you know, not so recreational drugs as well, mm -hmm. uh, there are ways to test those drugs for the presence of fentanyl. Um, and we actually would distribute those at the syringe exchange program that um, we hosted and that they still host with slow bangers. It's nice. And you guys like would teach how to use them properly, right? So that people wouldn't just get the tests and then definitely not, not know how to read it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's not going to help you so much if you're <laughs> just taking those and going. But um, yeah. So we provide on-site training too. Um, but it, yeah. Man, that's beautiful. So mm -hmm. with your work now, do you notice, can you make any notable connections between HIV and certain mental health patterns? Uh, certainly, yeah. I, um, I recently uh, finalized a paper with some faculty at um, Northeastern University and here at Columbia. Okay. Um, it was a literature review looking at 
rates of um, depression amongst people living with HIV. Um, and it is very, very prevalent. Um, I will say that not just depression, anxiety, um, also some, um, you know, personality disorders are prevalent amongst folks living with HIV. And, and it's not to say that, you know, maybe HIV is causing these things or that these things have caused people to like contract HIV. It's just, there's some, there's overlap, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Notable yeah. overlap, definitely. And we want to pay attention to those things because it is saying something. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, I do know that speaking with some of my participants with research, um, there is a lot of chronic loneliness and isolation that people experience um, when they're living with HIV. Even in the modern day, you know, I think we're more open than ever, um, even though it's still um, heavily stigmatized. But um, it can be yeah, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say it feels like the shame that is uh, there's like. For example, when I hear HIV, there's a negative connotation to just that acronym. And mm -hmm. it's very triggering when I view it from a perspective of why is it negative and why isn't it just something that can be talked about, which mm. is uh, another reason I just want to remind you, I really appreciate your time and energy in this space because yeah. this does clear up a lot of those mental confusions that I <laughs> Had. Not to say that I judge people because I do believe that everyone deserves the same type of love. I believe that, you know, we are just uh, God's workers. Mm -hmm. And so not that I'm a judgmental person, but it's interesting how I know that negative connotation when I hear that phrase. And I don't think that media, the portrayal of the lack of information, even within the, the sphere of what is given to the public. Mm, just all negative so that shame mm -hmm. that is so heavily it's like an umbrella over that term a shame umbrella and I can only imagine how difficult it is for those living with it to tell mm -hmm. themselves otherwise because you have mm -hmm. an entire society who's like constantly bashing that that perspective that it's uh workable because mm -hmm. you know what I mean Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, and, and that imagery you gave of the shame umbrella, I think that, um, I mean, in, in general, for any, you know, marginalized population, there, there's a feeling of that. It kind of, even if, you know, in modern days, we, you know, um, ART, like um, antiretroviral therapy, the mm -hmm. medications you can take to um, lower your viral load with HIV, they're um, more accessible and better than ever. You know, um, people now can take medications such as Victarvi that are just one pill a day to be able to keep their viral load um, undetectable. And you. people are living longer and healthier lives than ever with HIV. But it, um, there's still the emotional scars behind it, especially for folks that are um, over the age of 60 that, you know, endured the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. Um, they saw the worst, I think, um, of that stigmatization, the yeah. violence against folks living with HIV. Um, I mean, not to mention just the, the intense um, homophobia and violence against folks and LGBTQIA plus communities, like mm -hmm. just so much hatred 
directed at people that that needed care. And um, I mean, and at the same time, too, there was also so much there was just a general lack of knowledge on how to help people mm-hmm. at that time um, that there, even if you did want to do good, that was the science even there to help people. Um, it was a hard time. So living through that trauma and then also still trying to live a healthy life with a very severe chronic illness, it takes a toll mm-hmm. on people's mental health. Definitely. And I think that any illness that is within the body is representative of an illness within the emotional body. I've done Mm -hmm. a lot of just mm, work on myself. And I think through that self discovery, that self internal work, you you recognize that one does have a pain body with certain responses and certain hidden uh, blockages. And then you have your physical uh, egoistic, I suppose, societal body, one that's mm. able to put on the performance. Because again, life is really just a, a performance or a hunting and a gathering. So it's like mm-hmm. pick one or the other. And uh, I feel like with being more transparent about the healing process behind said diagnosis, there will be a healing within the emotional body that can hopefully transfer in and progress into the physical body moving forward mm-hmm. with uh, just any marginalized mm-hmm. group of people. You feel me? Definitely. And um, yeah, something that just came to mind when you mentioned that um, was um Adverse Childhood Experiences, ACEs. Okay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, the terminology there. Yeah, um, this is exciting. So I, um, since I specialized in child, youth, and family help in school, um, I learned a lot about uh, trauma-informed care, but also um, ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, This refers to um, instances of trauma, any adverse impact that you experience as a child, or even like some of these could be even connected to like pre-birth and how that not only affects your mental health for a lifetime, but your physical health um, Mm -hmm. for your entire life course. And it's just, it's well-documented. There's an incredible book um, by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris called The Deepest Well. Okay. And it goes into great detail about um, her walk as a pediatrician um, from the um, Bay Area, trying to learn a lot more about um, why so many of her patients from low socioeconomic backgrounds, um, black and brown folks, were experiencing these you know, very serious health concerns from a young age. Um, and then as she unraveled their life stories and from their parents, because many of you know, these were children, she starts to put the pieces together and see that like that that trauma you experience like that that's not just in your head it's it's deep in your body um and mm-hmm. the scars they they manifest over the lifetime you know damn i'm so happy to hear that there's yeah. thank you for that recommendation by the way i've really yeah. been getting into reading different books again um audible's my major uh platform that i use when i go on walks cuz i like to take you know daily hour to hour walks and that's when I like listen to the book so that's one that I'll definitely purchase but yeah I like that there's more broadening of the perspective and more connecting that 
these these trauma trauma issues they are generational and it's Mm -hmm. about time we start looking at the the patterns and having these open dialogues within our families to really I don't want to say cure all the issues because I don't think that's possible but again who says it's not possible Mm -hmm. anything with the assistance of God is possible Mm -hmm. so thank you I definitely want to look more into that yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And and I agree, you know, um, you bring up intergenerational trauma, the, the science is there. It, people are being impacted over their lifetime and um, by trauma. And then even it's, you know, pre their lifetime and then post their lifetime. It's what's happened to your family. What's happening to you. It's what's going to happen possibly or what may happen to um, your future generations. And you you hit the nail on the head about opening that dialogue is such an important step to take with your family um, to acknowledge the pain that's there. Because then you can start t- making, you know, the big efforts to take care of your health um, on a more impactful scale rather than just, um, you know, oh, well, these things happen in our family, but we got over it. Um, it's yeah. not that big of a deal. Um, you just <laughs> need to a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, it's real stuff. There's a lot of growing science um, behind having experienced these traumas and your family experiencing these traumas and lifetimes of pain because of that. Man, mm-hmm. thank you for elaborating on that. What else in mm-hmm. terms of your experience working with child and youth would you say has left uh, an an impact on your perspective of your work. Because Mm -hmm. I think working with adults provides us with the ability to be very direct at times. We can use certain terms, certain vocabulary, certain tones even, and they're Mm -hmm. acceptable because they are of age and it's how we uh, communicate most efficiently. But when working with children, especially youth that have been scarred in one way or another, tone becomes a very important part of the conversations and mm-hmm. and certain verbiage becomes more mm, precise am mm-hmm. i am i right about this is there a difference that you notice and how do you go about approaching let's say i was noticing someone a child acting much more mm, silent than Mm -hmm. per usual let's say I noticed his behavior was much more isolated Mm -hmm. I think in in situations such as this yeah being tactful um and also very respectful of the relationship between parent and child is, is is very difficult to balance um while also trying to uphold safety and well-being and justice yeah i can imagine Um, right um there is uh there there is definitely the right time and place to speak let Mm -hmm. alone what to say so if if you are concerned about a child i think a first place to look would be you know where am i in position to this child's health am i a close confidant to like their parent Mm -hmm. am i an educator my caretaker my cousin Mm -hmm. um or am i a doctor um 
And then from there, trying to understand the language that would best meet, um, you know, the parents' dialogue as well mm -hmm. for the caretakers. So, um, and I think finally coming at it from a perspective of, you know, just love, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Understanding that you're not trying to overstep a parent's boundaries. Mm -hmm. But if you were to look, for example, at the uh, the child who is not speaking as much, you might have to say, you know, um, and, and it is hard to say in the context. Um, yeah, just, every situation is so different, right? I wasn't yeah. expecting a black or white answer, but it's just. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I could say um, trying to give the child room to speak as well, because this is about their health in the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but if that is difficult, um, you might ask for some background health information from the parent um, and never from a judgmental standpoint. Yes. Yes. Very mm -hmm. important. I, I, I like that. Thank you. Thank you for elaborating mm -hmm. on that. Oh, man, this is such a good conversation. <laughs> I love your work. I you, like you are God sent. Seriously. You're oh, really gosh. The work of the Lord, baby. Oh, there is man. good karma on your back. That's um, all I can hope, right? <laughs> I do have more questions regarding your work with HIV, but I kind of want to liven up the vibe. It's like a little vibe check moment. I just need a little vibe check. Girl, you're dancing. Okay, hold <laughs> up. Hold the hell up. You know how to work them hips. Oh my gosh. Down. It's been so long since I've performed or even, gosh, learned you know, a choreo. That's when, that's when I fell in love with you. you <laughs> listen. From a outsider standpoint, let me tell you about you. You shine. Mm. Everywhere you go, you shine. Mm. I, I, if I could, light, light comes to mind. If someone were to ask me to describe you in one word, it would be light. Mm. Why? Because you're, you're, you're quick on your toes, baby. You can run. But also, there's a, there just is light about you. And what I find credible in life, and this is just my own personal opinion, I find those who find happiness the most credible people to reach out to. Because if you can't find happiness, if you can't generate a sense of, uh, I'm doing this for me because I think that this makes me feel good and I want to feel good, so that's why I'm doing it, uh, then I don't really, you know, fucks with you because that's, yeah. how I, that's how I live my life. And so when I saw you own your thing and just be so mm, good at what you did too, <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about your background in dance? So oh, I could fangirl for a bit. Yeah, gosh, don't even. I don't even get me started on you. It's not your hair. It's comparison at that point. Man. Um, and thank you again. It, the kind words, you know, it really warms, warms my heart. Um, I'm glad. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I, um, as much as I have loved running my entire life, dance has also been a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Um. I actually started dance when I was five years old and I studied and practiced Polynesian dancing uh, for those that weren't aware um, from that time and throughout high school. Um, it was just, yeah, it, it's out of the blue. Um, even when I tell friends now in New York that have never known me as a, a dancer, they're like, mm -hmm. what? <laughs> what do you mean? And I was like, and yes, uh, and and I, uh, you know, the disclaimer, um, I'm not of Polynesian descent, but it, it's an interesting story. So my um, 
my mom got me into Polynesian dancing um, when I was five. Uh, was I believe I was the youngest out of the group that she sent me to. Okay. And this was um, a group that was based out of Santa Santa Cruz. Nice. So you would take about an hour trek. I think it was Tuesdays after school, and um, she'd just prop me up with the the baker kids and. <laughs> Uh, we were under the direction of my um, Kumuhula, who is a, my teacher, um, Leilani Lowry. Beautiful. Incredible um, instructor based out of um, Hawaii originally. Mm-hmm. And she took me under her wing as some little Hispanic child. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was, it was lovely. I will always cherish the time that I was able to spend um with her and then later on with um, a group called Yamamoto, Yamamoto Hula Ohana, which um, is based out of um, San Juan, Beautiful. San Juan Batista, so a little yeah. bit closer to home. And that is um, a nonprofit dance group that uh, connects with other nonprofits around the central coast and parts of California to provide um, performances for um, different events just to draw people in and help with the fundraising processes of different groups. So um, beautiful. Yeah. And through them, uh, yeah, I was able to continue my dancing through high school. Um, I, I, I love dance. Um, and it is, you know, it's unfortunate to say that so many people in my life now don't know me as a dancer. Um, I think it's harder to keep up, at least in my experience, um, you know, my love for dance post school yeah and i think people might feel this way for other extracurriculars um that if you don't have that set group to meet with or if you're not someone that decided to pursue that um beyond high school as a career you might feel like ah where's my place like where can i still follow these passions um beyond just like a profession um Definitely, because it is a little difficult to pursue these things as a solo and have that self-discipline consistently, Mm -hmm. because I think what's best about groups is the power of feedback and the power of doing things. uh, mm, I mean, we're wired for connection and the bigger the group, the safer we feel, the, Mm -hmm. the more invited we are to maybe be a little more loose, be a little more silly. It's... It's a comfortable space. So I totally agree with you with that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, What was your last performance? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Wow. When was my last performance? (laughs) I really think it might have been like senior year. Oh, wow. Ain't that a while? Like even um, sometimes in uh, undergrad, at Cal Poly, I ended up meeting randomly uh, some girls at the gym while I was like, I was just practicing dance on my own in one of the um, like aerobic rooms, open rooms. Yeah, yeah. And a girl came up to me and she's like, "Oh, are you doing dancing?" I was like, "Yes, <laughs> I'm not just shaking it for free out here, people. This is a skill." Um, and um, she was like, "Oh my gosh, like I'm from um, SoCal. I." Also, I've done dance since I was a kid, and then we would meet up a few times, um, and as well as some other friends that we knew uh, just to that's dance. So cute. Well, that's you know, it, it's still 
a part of my life I carried on a little bit further than when I was like formerly performing. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's something I do. I do reminisce on quite a bit. I think that dance is such a beautiful expression of um, not just current emotion, but of, you know, the human spirit. Yeah, I love, I love, I mean, dance is my spiritual practice, you know, yeah. a little dance every single day. That's a must for me, mm-hmm. just getting into the body and, and being loose and feeling it out and especially working the hips and working the chest mm-hmm. and allowing that, that circular motion. To, some people are just so stiff, you know, and it couldn't be me. I feel like that's <laughs> how I, that's how I maintain Mm-hmm. structure in my life maintain balance yeah. which leads me to my next question with all the I think beautiful things that you do and with everything that you give your energy to how do you find balance how do you rejuvenate especially as a Scorpio who may not mm-hmm. always be inclined to social events mm-hmm. I feel like those must be very draining uh, activities for you just being real <laughs> how do you rejuvenate how do you stay you how do you stay up yeah it's so funny you bring that up I was just talking uh to my good friend today um how I am really trying to prioritize my rest these days um and learning how to rest Mm -hmm. you have to learn how to do it these days right Mm -hmm. like we were it's 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 so strange I that's our natural state and um it seems so foreign to someone like me so um, I I take a lot of time. I love listening to music. I can listen nice. to like albums and albums and albums. And um, what's so your favorite I, album at the moment? Oh my goodness! I keep repeating. Um, goodness, the formal name of it. I it's I listen to a lot of you know Tasha Sultana. You oh my god! The, the god <laughs> themselves. Oh my goodness! Yes. Oh um. my god! I saw her live on shrooms at, at, in Monterey at fucking Cali Roots. The, Cali Roots. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! It was sprinkling. It was raining. I called out of work that day. I bought myself a last minute ticket. Drove. Went by myself. I was in the middle of the crowd. The mm-hmm. rain started falling. She was playing. I was oh, heaven, heaven. Yeah. Yes, yes. I I regret um, not seeing that performance so much. I was there. I I used to be a um, a promoter for Roots Fest. Yeah, and I don't I don't know why I didn't go to that set. I think I was at a different one, and I mm-hmm. wasn't like a fan yet. Mm-hmm. So I was just an ignorant person. Like to think because <laughs> I recently just bought um tickets to their um recent tour. They're starting back up. Nice. Um, Gosh, what's the actual? I don't know if there's a full formal name out for it. But either way, um, yeah, I'll be seeing uh, Tasha's performance in um, June of this year here in New York. Very, very I'm excited. I'm so um, excited for you. Oh, my goodness. What's your favorite song by them? Uh, favorite? Uh, cigarettes. It is oh. a really, real good song. I just love the... Um, you know, the instrumental uh-huh. finish, it, it's uh-huh. so strong. The lyrics are good. Um, I also love Murder to the Mind. Those songs are um, going to make me think of you now. Yeah, oh, I hope so, man. I if I ever that. do, you know, end up in a documentary, I want that song over me. That's it. <laughs> I really do. Um, I think my favorite is Big Smoke, but it's the live version, part two. Oh. It's, part of, it's on her album with the black uh, cover art. 
Yeah. Yeah, yes. that's uh, it's like an eight-minute song, but oh my gosh, it's a journey. Girl. Yes. Yeah. Woo! Um, and sorry, Terra Firma is the album I have been having on loop. That's with, um, yeah, like Beyond the Pine, Willow Tree, good, so good stuff. Yeah. Um, I like your taste. Good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. you might have to come out to New York and come uh, watch I that concert. I got city. two tickets. <laughs> I've never been to the city. It would be a trip for sure. And I need oh, to explore yes. more. I'm trying to travel more. Yes, I mean, do come. New York is, I mean, never, never wanted to move here ever. Like just beyond <laughs> like schooling and stuff. I never thought um, this would be a place I'd end up. And now, I, I mean, it's the longer I stay, the longer I'm going to stay. That's what my mom actually actually said. She coined that term for me, and I'm like, "Oh, you're right." Yeah, because um, I have I haven't even touched upon. I mean, the the running community here has been a huge family for me. Um, Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, where do you you, um, congregate? Like, what do you what are your meetups? What does that look like? Oh man. Well, um, just for some context, the, the running community in New York City is comprised of over at least 100 running clubs, crews, groups, oh, shit. gangs, with all their own style, location, um, interest, purpose. It's beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. So I joined a group called We Run Uptown based okay. out of Washington Heights. Um they have been kind of like my core group that I meet up with. I see them every Monday night for a quick run. Um, I have met some really beautiful, talented, incredible, heartfelt, just I I can't say enough about the people I've met through that group. And we've Mm -hmm. all really bonded over um, just this love for running. And back to that, that kind of ties into your initial question of um, where I, you know, find my rest. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, being out on a run, I know most people would be like, uh, no thanks. But for me, I, I have to run almost every day just to give myself that space um, to move my body, to be in rhythm, um, be outside. Yes. And I love it. But especially being in community with people. Um, I run with groups about three times a week. Um, other groups that I run with, there's um, Bridge Runners, which are like kind of the the home team of a lot of the Nike groups um, based out of the city. So we run uptown is a Nike crew. Bridge runners are um, affiliated with Nike as well. Okay. Um, so pretty cool. Yeah. I get some cool that swag. Pretty dope. Yeah. yeah. Not that at all. I, <laughs> um, but bridge runners is a congregation of just um, the coolest creative um stoners and super athletes you'll ever meet i mean it i mean you (laughs) you you walk into um the gate which is their main headquarters and my vibe yes there are people there's photography up there's a a, like a silk like there's a press in the back to do um like to make t-shirts on the spot and your own jerseys there's people that have graffiti all over in the back and other art pieces someone's usually like playing music and there's just yeah there's a and a, a lot of marijuana to say the least uh, so i mean we have yeah there's um one of the crew leaders uh mike says he is uh some have dubbed him the the godfather of urban running in new york city uh i didn't know that i thought he was uh just my buddy 
<laughs> that man will be warming up, let alone he'll be on a run with like a, a lit blunt in his mouth and he will smoke, no pun intended, all of us on that run. <laughs> Yo. Yes, and he, That's I my think man. That's a yes, yeah. Shout out to Mike if he ever happens to <laughs> come yeah, across this. Out. I'm sure he'll um, joke with me about <laughs> that if I see him on Wednesday. But um, yeah, and and of course, there's so many other flavors of teams out there. Um, there are groups like um, you know, there are Chinatown runners and Run for Chinatown that are crews and collectives that are based um, out of those areas in the city that are trying to promote um, Asian American and Pacific Islander like heritage and safety rights wow. and justice in the city. They'll lead group runs throughout um, Chinatown and over special holidays to raise awareness and funds. Um, there are, man, and there are also other very um, competitive teams. There's the Dash and Are you Whipping. competing? Are you, do you compete? Uh, I do, yeah, yeah. That's so, right. Um, Yes, that's where I've kept my, my competitive edge up has been the, the running front these days. Um, so I'm, I'm currently training for the Big Sur Marathon, uh, April 24th, back at home. Beautiful. Um, I'll be able to make the trek back to do that. And uh, that'll be my first marathon. But I, I have gotten myself into some crazy races uh, since then because of these wild runners out east. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if um i we spoke about this but i um recently from the the crazed mind of mike who i mentioned earlier on uh, <laughs> yeah. this team i along with i think 22 other runners um biked and ran from philadelphia to new york city in one wow. day yeah oh my gosh gabby we called it the bell to the bull so the liberty bell to the charging bull and the financial district um and yeah my There's niece a bull in the financial me. district it's yeah it's like the the gold statue you know like it's off of wall street okay yeah i feel like if you saw it you'd be like ah yes it's in a lot of the new york movies um okay, say less. i love that though because yeah i think bull i think taurus and taurus is like all about money and it's in the oh movie. well it okay let's certainly go. does yeah and that thing has some uh stern energy it's <laughs> charging at yeah so um yes uh we did that my my partner my um my good friend juan um <laughs> He, I, I roped him into doing that race with me, um, and we shared one bike um, and basically one brain cell as we like got ourselves <laughs> from A to B. We did it in about 15 hours. Um, and uh, what does your mind that. feel like when you're on that level, like the 14th hour? What was your mind? Oh yeah, that's all that you're in. You can't rely on your body at that point you have to go to another level that's beyond your body's ability to get through that kind of run. Um, I really mentally, I was just like, I had, I had to finish. There was nothing else on my mind. Um, because, uh, even at the end, so our last few miles were through Staten Island where we mm -hmm. would have to catch a ferry, which only came every 30 <laughs> minutes. Holy and then you catch that ferry into the tip of, um, Southern Manhattan in which you would have a 300 um, meter dash from the ferry into like the charging bull for the finish. So some sort of sick joke that Mike thought of that after you do about, um, 
you know, 90 miles of like running and biking, um, you'll get to sprint at the end. Isn't that fun? So um, it was in <laughs> that, that the last few miles where um, I tried to carry, like, you know, carry the team basically, meta- metaphorically, um, <laughs> the last few miles through. And um, it was just pain so much pain i other so ultra running is a a whole separate field of people that like to do races like that and worse um and a lot of people in the ultra running community describe kind of the pain you hit is the pain cave um so you're kind of you're so dug into the pain um but you have to get yourself out Mm. so it's like you have to rely on something more than just your body's ability because that gave out like at least 20 miles ago you know a great you know metaphor for life i think yeah i actually really like that visual too you know what i mean yeah definitely and mm-hmm. in those moments like man i feel like that's a spiritual journey within itself mm-hmm. that's a, such a test of the body and i like that I like going on okay. hikes. I don't know about that running. I <laughs> myself for a long run. I did oh, like yeah. a 10 mile hike in the Santa Cruz mountains this weekend. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I love, I love scenery changes. I love in, being in a cool space. Mm-hmm. Nature is my bestie. Yeah. So that's my vibe, but I'll definitely have to try a long run sometimes. How many miles is a marathon? Uh, 26.2. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people are like sprinting that the professionals i mean yeah. i'm amazed amazed that is amazing wow you guys are that's that's uh inspirational for sure yeah i don't know if it's inspirational or it's a, a fair warning to don't be uh not be so stupid like we are <laughs> no, no, Yo, no, no, chase no. the adventure i love yes that. I love that. absolutely uh, yo gabby i do want to get you back onto your rejuvenation schedule, give you some rest. But before we head out and close up this conversation, let's bring it back to your work. Yeah, the crux of this talk. And I think, well, for starters, thank you from the very bottom of my heart for giving me your time, your energy. Mm -hmm. You are a beautiful, magnanimous person. I feel so honored. It's been Mm -hmm. such a pleasure to host you in this space. And you are welcomed anytime you ever mm-hmm. discover something new. You you have a big breakthrough, girl. You know who to call. We love cool. you. You got this. Yeah. Um, when it comes to your work, what are some of the last final trailing ideas that you would like to leave us with? I think I want to um, circle it a bit back to just general mental health. Um, yes not just people living with HIV, you know, clearly suffer from um, mental health concerns Mm -hmm. um, and isolation and loneliness. Um, We all need community at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whether you look from spiritual advice or from educational advice, academic, scientific, at the end of the day, you'll find that everyone agrees that we need to be in relationship with one another and really um, taking care of one another. So I, I think a, a lot of health can be medicalized so much, um, mm-hmm. but 
the healthiest thing I think we can all do for each other is um, take care of one another, be friends, be good family members, um, be good sons, daughters, children, parents, um, cousins, just in any role that you take, um, make sure that you are stewarding well people's um, people's thoughts as well. Because a lot of our thought life does come from who we're spending our time with. So when we look at mental health in the grand scheme of things, um, if you just look at the people directly around you and who are speaking life into you or not, um, I think you'll find a lot of places that you can make big changes just right there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's such a powerful message. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gabby. Yeah. Thank you, Cameron. This was such a pleasure. I was so happy to be able to um, talk about things that I care about with you. Thank you. You are always welcomed. And this is important stuff, dude. Like, yeah. man, you are so supported. If, if no, by no one else, you are definitely supported by me. I wish you the best with your work, with your, geez, all of the above, right? With your <laughs> academics, with your career, with this mm-hmm. new uh, life that you've created for yourself. You are an inspiration to me. And just, I wish you the best. Right. Thank you so much. Man, thanks so much for tuning in, you guys. It's your boy. That was Gabby, the one and only. We send you all love and prayers. I hope you guys take care. We out. Love you guys. Bye.